What a gift it is to be reminded this morning as we now turn our attention to the Word of God that the Word of God shows us how faithful God is. And we need to hear that today because as we turn our attention to the Word of God this morning, continuing in this series, Warning and Hope, looking at the day of the Lord when, when all will stand before a holy and righteous God and give an account, we need to be reminded through the Word of God that God is faithful. That God will always do what he has said he will do. That his promises are secure. We need to hear that because when the word of God challenges us, when the word of God provokes us, when the word of God lays difficult truth in front of us to consider, we need to know the Lord is faithful. And so we cling to the faithfulness of God. As we turn our attention to God's Word, I'd invite you to grab a Bible with me now. We're going to jump right in to this message this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's in the New Testament if you're new to Bible study. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got Bibles spread out all over the room. And I would encourage you, go ahead and grab one so that you can see for yourself what the Word of God is saying. Please don't just take my word for it. Please read for yourself what the Word of God is saying. And the page numbers there are on the screen if you're grabbing one of the Bibles from here in the room. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to see this, this warning about the day of the Lord and this hope that we can have in the day of the Lord. And we're going to ask the question, when is the day of the Lord going to occur? Because wouldn't it be great if we can know a specific day so that then we could be really sure that we're ready for that specific day, wouldn't it be great? I mean, really, since Christ ascended into heaven after the resurrection 2,000 years ago, people have been asking, when is he going to return? And people have been offering their predictions or their guesses or what they would even say might be their prophecy of the day that he will come back. Can we really know? Let's see what the word of God says. Would you stand with me as we read from the word of God? 1 Thessalonians 5, I'll begin in verse 1. And the reason we stand is so that we're all reminded as we turn our attention to God's word, this is the foundation for the church of Jesus Christ. We stand on the word of God. We need to hear the word of God. The word of God lays before us what God says is right and good and true. And, and isn't it true right now that we all need to hear what God says? As we think about the return of Christ and the day of the Lord, we need to hear what God says is true. Especially as we think about the desire that we have to know when that day will happen, we need to know what the word of God says is true. Listen to the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter inspired by the Spirit of God to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, now concerning the times and the seasons. Here it is. People want to know. People want to know. Concerning the times and the seasons, he says, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When's it going to happen? It's going to happen like a thief in the night. And it says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers. Paul says to the church, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This is the word of the Lord speaking to us about the day of the Lord and calling us to be ready for that day. Let's invite the Lord now to speak into our hearts. Let's pray together and ask the Spirit of God to reveal to us what we need to see this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you at the at the preaching and the proclamation of your word, it is my prayer that, that it would be your spirit moving in this place and among the, the hearts of those who are joining us online right now to speak into our lives what we need to see and hear. For certainly as we think about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of the return of Christ, as we think about these things and the massive implications that are involved and, and, and we long to know the truth and we long to be ready and we long to know that on that day we're going to be okay. Lord, we need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would have your way among us, that your word would come to life in us, that the, that the word of God would read us this morning and show us what we need to see. None of us, Lord God, are here by accident. And that means that there is something very specific that you have to say. So open our ears to listen and open our hearts to receive as we look to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. There was a book that was written and published at the beginning of the year 1988. And this book was titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. It was written by a professor, a well-educated former NASA engineer, Edgar Wisenut was his name. He was a self-proclaimed Bible scholar and he writes this book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. It's released at the beginning of the year. He predicts that the rapture is gonna happen in the fall, in September specifically, during the Jewish holiday Rosh Hashanah and the book sells over 4 million copies. That's incredible, right? People wanna know, when is the day gonna happen? People want to make sure if the day's going to happen soon that I'm ready. And so people were grabbing that book and sharing that book, reading that book. There are stories of people who sold their homes and quit their jobs because of this book so they could be ready in the fall of 1988 for the day of the Lord. And then September hit. Hate to spoil it for you. He was wrong. So he quickly wrote another pamphlet that said, actually, my dates were a little off. It's going to be October 1988. October hit. Again, he was wrong. So he writes another book that, that this is going to happen in 1989. He just kept going. The one about 1989 did not sell very many copies. Because at that point, people are going, hold on now. Maybe you don't know. But that question is a question that we can relate to, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great 
to have the date when it's all going to go down so that you can make sure that everything in your life is in order and everything is in place and you're good to go. We, we would love to know when that day is going to be because then mentally we think if I just knew when it would happen, then I would be ready. But the message of the word of God over and over and over again about the day of the Lord is that you can know the day of the Lord is going to happen. You will not know when it's going to happen, but you better be ready. And so the word of God is inviting us over and over again to consider what does it mean to be ready? How can I know if I am ready? Because I will not know when the day is going to occur. Church, you need to hear this because there will be people that will rise up and say, hey, I figured it out, I've got a date. To which the word of God says, no, you don't but you better be ready. So the Apostle Paul is addressing this because there are some people in the church after the ascension of Christ into heaven, after the resurrection, who immediately start asking, rightly so, when is he gonna come again? He said he was gonna come again. When is he gonna come again? And so the Apostle Paul in writing this letter says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written for you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Many commentators say the Apostle Paul is using this language in verses one and two to, to say, hey, we've had this conversation before. We've talked about this. And when we talked about this before, what did we do? We look back at what Jesus himself said about his return, about the day of the Lord, about the second coming of the Messiah. What did Jesus himself say? Well, let's look at that. I'm going to turn your attention, if you would, to Matthew 24. We'll come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Matthew 24, right in the middle of a, of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, he begins to talk about his return. And if you want to press in more to this, we don't have time to get into all of it today, but I would encourage you to read Matthew 23, 24, and 25. Because Jesus, in these three chapters, right near the end of his public ministry, right before he goes to the cross, he's wanting all who will listen to be prepared. And he's wanting all who listen to understand he is going to the cross, he is going to defeat sin and death, and he is going to come again. So he lays this out. And in Matthew 24 specifically, he quotes from Daniel chapter 9, prophecy uh, about this great tribulation that will happen before the day of the Lord, before the return of the Messiah. It's called the abomination of the desolation. You can press into this more. It's what Jesus affirms and teaches that will take place right before his return. And then he quotes from the story, a well-known story of, of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the story of Noah and the ark. Now, I realize you, you may have never heard of Noah and the ark, but, but most, most people who've at least attended church a little or have been to vacation Bible school, you're at least aware of, of this story of a man named Noah who builds this big old boat and a flood comes and his family gets on the boat and he ushers in the animals two by two and they're the only ones that survive this experience. All of the world is drowned in this flood. And so we tell this story to kids to make them smile. Right? Isn't that funny? It's incredible. 
It's an amazing story, but it is a horrifying story. Noah and his family and the animals two by two are the only ones who survived the flood. Jesus points to this in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36, as some of his followers are asking him, when are you going to return? When is the day of the Lord? When will you come back? And he says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. If you ever have someone telling you they know when the day is going to be, they are deceived. They're probably trying to sell you a book. No one knows, Jesus says. And then he goes to Noah and he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is an incredible analogy that Jesus lays before us. He's saying, think about this. Noah is building this massive boat, this ark, and the people see it happening. What do they do? They laugh, they mock him, and they go on with their life. It's not raining, Noah. There's dry ground. There's no water anywhere close to here. It's not going to flood. You're crazy. I'm just going to keep doing my thing, eating, drinking, marrying, partying. We're just going to go on with life like none of this is going to happen. I don't want to hear your warnings. I'm fine. I've got what I need and what I want in this life. And I'm not going to even give a thought to, to something that might, might take me out. Or, or I'm not going to give a thought to, to the judgment of God. No way. I don't need to hear that message. And certainly there's many who would respond that way today. Hey, this is, this is not the most popular thing to, to talk about in our culture. The judgment of God? Are you kidding me? Standing before a holy God, giving account for the way we have lived? Being held accountable for our sin? That's not what many people want to hear. And Jesus is saying that's how it was before the flood. Everybody was just acting like that flood was not going to come and they were swept away. And Jesus said the same will be true at the, the day of the Lord. There will be many people who will be living their lives as if they will never have to stand before God. They will be living their lives as if they will never have to give an account for the way they've lived. Jesus continues in verse 40 and he says this is what will happen at his return. He says there then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. And Jesus says, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, and he gives another analogy, and this is so helpful. Know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. 
Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is a call to the people of God. Make sure, examine yourselves, examine your life, Hold up the word of God and make sure you are ready for the day. Live today in light of that day. For you do not know when it's going to occur, but the call is to be ready. For it's coming like a thief in the night. Now our family has been broken into on two different occasions. The first one was one of the craziest nights of my life. It was when we were still living right outside of Atlanta. This is years ago. Somebody broke into our garage while we were at home, had no idea what was going on, and I just happened to walk out into the garage at about 10.30 at night, shorts and T-shirt, barefoot, just going to get some out of the garage, and there's someone in our garage going through all our stuff. It was pretty exciting. I quickly realized that this individual was very high, strung out. He was looking for anything that he could grab to sell for the next fix. He was out of his mind. He grabbed a golf club and he came at me because I was standing between him and the only way out of the garage. It was exciting. Praise God. After he ran down the driveway, after I ducked and pushed, um, He went into the woods and the police found him. Very thankful that happened. I had no idea someone was in the garage. I would have walked out there very differently had I known someone was in the garage. The second time that our house was broken into was about six years ago. It was right as we moved to South Carolina and we we bought a house that had a carport, didn't have a garage. And this is a pretty neat little area where we were living and we had no idea that that. This was an area that people often got broken into, but we put a bunch of stuff in our carport. Bikes for the kids and power wheels and we had an older golf cart that was in our carport. All that stuff was there. We didn't think anything of it. Then one night in the middle of the night, some thieves backed a pickup truck into our driveway, loaded the bikes, loaded the kids' toys, tied a rope to the golf cart, left. We had no idea cleaned us out. I'll tell you this, in both of those scenarios, had I known that a robbery was about to happen, that a thief was about to show up at my house, I would have been ready. I'm a hunter. (laughs) I would have been ready. And yet, it did not matter. It did not matter the stuff that I had for hunting in my closet because I was sound asleep the second time. It did not matter the things that I had in my house that might have helped me be ready the first time when I walked in on that intruder because I had no idea he was there. I was not ready. This analogy that Jesus gives, it's so powerful. Because Jesus is is really speaking to all of us who might say, hey, just tell us the day, and then when we know, we'll make sure we're ready on that day. 
But really, I would just prefer to live my life however I wanna live and be left alone and do whatever I wanna do. And then when that day comes, then I'll get it all in order. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not how it goes at all. I'm asking you to consider your heart right now. You have no idea when the day is gonna occur. Will you be ready? You have no idea when the day of the Lord will take place. Will you be ready? It's a question that every single one of us need to wrestle with. Will we be ready to stand before the Lord? We go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, right where we left off. And it says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Here we get another great analogy. This one's from the Apostle Paul as he's telling us about being ready for the day of the Lord. And he gives this this picture, if you will, of a pregnant woman that goes into labor. Now, I've experienced this four times in, in our family. And here's what I can relate to when I see what the word of God says. When when Megan went into labor with all four of our kids and those labor pains begin and those contractions start to happen, that baby's coming. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. When the labor pains begin, the baby is about to arrive and it's not the right time to stop and go, you know, I think we we should paint the nursery so that we can get ready. Now, when the labor pains start, that's not the time to go, hold on, let me build the crib and then I'll take you to the hospital. Hold on, let me run to the store and buy the car seat to put in the car so that we're ready to come home. Hey, let's not forget, we need to get that perfect onesie for that all important perfect first picture. So can you just hold off on the delivery for a little while? I need to run, pick some things up. That would not go over well, gentlemen. When the labor pains start, the baby is going to arrive. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, many people are saying we have peace and we have security. He's referencing back what Jesus said, talking about Noah's time, that people were saying, hey, we don't have to worry about this right now. We've got the things of this world. We've got things that can make us feel good. We've got a a good resume. We've got these accolades. We've got this portfolio. Like, I'm good to go. I don't need to think about all that stuff. Yeah, maybe if you tell me today, I'll think about it then, but I'm not going to worry about any of that stuff and Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. Paul's going, no, you don't understand. When the day the Lord takes place, it's too late to ask, am I ready? When the day of the Lord happens, it's too late to go, oh, I need to, I need to try and consider what matters most. No, Jesus says, Paul says, Make sure you are ready for that day because you do not know when it will happen. And it's too late to get ready when it happens. The word of God makes this very clear. And this happens all throughout the word of God. This idea of of trying to to flippantly or last minute get ready, it shows up in the word of God. This idea of just trying to, to 
clean up the outside and not deal with what's really going on in the heart. That shows up all throughout the word of God as well. And I want to give you an example of this because it's very applicable to what we're walking through here in 1 Thessalonians. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 13. The prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. We're going to come back to 1 Thessalonians in just a moment. But let's look at what the prophet Ezekiel lays out in a very sober warning. As he's speaking to those uh, who, who, who have the things of this world and are going, hey, we don't need to worry uh, about the day of the Lord. We don't need to worry about standing in judgment before God. We don't need to worry about giving an account for our lives because, hey, we got a lot of great stuff in our lives. And there were some prophets in Ezekiel's time that were saying, yeah, don't worry about any of that stuff. We've, we've got peace and we're going to continue to have peace. Things are fine. Don't, don't think about these things down the road. No, you've got peace. And so the prophet says, speaking the word of the Lord, precisely because they have misled my people, Ezekiel 13, 10, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, it will be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And listen to this, when it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. This is a sobering warning. But it is a warning to those who say, hey, I don't need to consider these things of God. I don't need to think about that day of the Lord because I'm good to go right now. I've got some nice things. I've done some good things. I've accomplished with my life. I, I'm, a, I'm good to go. I don't even wanna give a thought to that. And the prophets were saying to those people, that's right, don't worry, you're gonna be fine. Peace is here, you're fine. And the prophet says, that's like taking whitewash and putting it over the cracks in a wall as an impending hurricane is bearing down. And think about how foolish this would be. If a hurricane is growing in the Gulf and very close to making landfall, and all the experts and the meteorologists and, and all the authorities are saying, hey, the hurricane is coming. It is going to strike land. It's gonna strike land right here. It's coming towards this beach. And someone who has a house on that beach says, you know what? I think this would be a great time to get out the paint and put a fresh coat of that beautiful white dove on the exterior of the house, you know? I mean, I, that way when the hurricane comes, it'll be like, oh, that house is so nice. I don't wanna knock that house down. Look how beautiful it is on the outside. And the word of God through the prophet Ezekiel saying, that's a foolish way to live. 
to think that somehow we can clean up the outside enough that we can then give an account before a holy God that says, hey, look at, look at how great I am, God. Certainly I don't deserve to stand before you in the day of the Lord and give an account for my life because I'm just so clean and nice and good at all these things I've done. And the word of the Lord says to us, your deeds, your actions, your performance, it will, it will account for nothing in the day of the Lord. To stand in the day of the Lord and try to say, hey, look how great I am in the face of the holy and righteous one who is sovereign and reigning over all, is such a foolish and trivial thing to consider. The word of the Lord is saying, no, you want to make sure You want to make sure that your heart has been made new, that your heart is right with the Lord. Because there is nothing that you can do to try and paint over or clean up your life in such a way that you would be worthy to stand before God in the day of the Lord on your own. Please hear me. This is where the word of God not only issues a warning, but the word of God also invites us to hope. That's why we've called this series Warning and Hope. When the word of God lays out a warning, the word of God then invites us to consider the hope that we can have in light of that warning if we will trust in the word of the Lord. And so we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses four and five, as the the apostle Paul says to the people of God, this is the hope, this is important. Listen to what the word of God says. You are not in the darkness, brothers. This is good news. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. This is where Paul is bringing the church as he does over and over again back to the gospel. Church, we need to hear the gospel every day. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us through Christ that we can never do for ourselves. And Paul is saying, look, I know this is hard to consider thinking about the day of the Lord. It can be sobering. It can be challenging. It can even feel overwhelming. But listen, if you are in Christ, You are not of the darkness. If you are in Christ, you're not blinded anymore. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God, a child of the light, a child of the day. So if you are in Christ, Paul's saying, you are prepared. So live like it. Live like it. If you are in Christ, you are prepared to stand before God. So live like it. I feel like we need to hear this over and over and over again because we look at the darkness of the world and we look at the changing culture around us and we look at the decisions that many people are making that, that, that we would not agree with and it can, it can cause concern, it can cause fear, it can cause worry, it can cause doubt. And the word of God time and time again says, yes, you see that which is dark and that is not you anymore. You are a child of the light, so live like it. The scripture continues, verse six, it says, so then let us not 
sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I love this. This is so important that the people of God see this. As the word of God through the apostle Paul is saying to the church, you have been given the good news of the gospel, so live like it. He then says, so make sure as you interact with the world around you, that you are not interacting as one who is asleep. That means ignoring the realities of the world and ignoring the realities of what the word of God reveals. He says, church, make sure as you interact with the world that you are not living as one who is drunk. What is that about? Someone who's drunk is trying to ignore the realities of their life. They're trying to be dismissive of the realities of what is happening in their story. They're trying to escape it and get away with it. He says, don't do that. No, come face to face with the reality of what's happening around you in the world and take the reality of the gospel into the reality of the world. That's the message of the church. You don't hide in fear. You don't look in judgment, but you take the good news of the gospel into the reality of the world around you. For the good news of the gospel is the only hope for the day of the Lord. If you are in Christ, you have this good news, so live like it. Earlier in the service, we sang that song of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer happens in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Jesus teaches this model prayer and Right around that same portion of the scripture in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his followers something so important as it relates to what the word of God is laying before us and being ready for the day of the Lord. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Many of you will be aware of this passage. It's one of the more famous statements that Jesus says to his followers about how we're to interact with one another and the world around us. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your Facebook rants. Oh, it's, I'm sorry, I had a different translation. So that they can see how critical and judgmental you are of the people who don't live like you. Now that's not what it says either. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is so important, church. Because Jesus is not teaching his followers, go out and live a good life so that God will approve of you. Jesus is teaching his followers, the only way that you can live a life called good works in the sight of God is if you do so through the good news of the gospel. 
The only way that you can have good works before God is if they are good works of his grace in your life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be right with God is if by grace through faith in Christ, you have trusted in him for the good news of salvation. And then the good works of your life are gospel works that Christ has laid before you to walk in so that the world in darkness can see the light. So that the world in darkness can see through the followers of Jesus what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8, that we are the light of faith, hope, and love. This is so incredibly important. The word of God is saying to the people of God, as you consider the day of the Lord, yes, you want to be ready. If you are in Christ, you are ready. So if you are in Christ and you are ready, the call on your life is to go into the world as a picture of faith, hope, and love, as a light of the gospel, demonstrating the grace and the mercy of God through good works that the world may see and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, so that some may see and realize they need to be ready for the day of the Lord. Over and over again, we need to hear this because in our concern and what we see in the world around us, it is very easy for us to drift into criticism judgment. It's easy for us to slide over into fear and withdrawal. And yet the word of God is saying to the church, the calling on your life is to go into the world as a light of the gospel, shining brightly in the darkness that the world might see through your life, faith, hope, and love. Church, let's be the church in light of the good news that we have received. We close with this beautiful good news in 9 through 11 of 1 Thessalonians 5 that says this, to all who are in Christ, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. If you want to understand that language there, you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul was talking about those who have already died, what will take place for them. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But Paul is saying whether, whether someone has already passed away in Christ or they are alive in Christ, when this day happens, you must understand they are not destined for wrath through Christ, but they have received salvation so that they might live with him. Therefore, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When I read these three verses, what I see is a call to the people of God to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Because something is going to happen on Monday morning where you're going to look out at the darkness of the world or the decline of the culture or something's going to happen in your own story, in your own circumstance, where the knee-jerk reaction is to go to criticism and judgment, or the knee-jerk reaction is to go to fear and withdrawal. 
And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day so that we can be reminded in Christ, we are not destined for wrath. In Christ, we have received the gift of salvation. In Christ, we have been made new. And as one who has been made new, we are ready for the day of the Lord. So let's go into this day today and let's live like we're ready for the day of the Lord. Let's go be a light of the gospel. Let's go take the faith, hope, and love that has changed our life through Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs some faith, hope, and love right now. Go live the gospel as you preach the gospel to yourself. And we're reminded, no matter how dark things in the culture around us may appear, if I am in Christ, my sins are forgiven, I am covered with the grace of God, and I will be with him for all of eternity. That will change the way you live. And no matter how challenging my circumstance may become, if I am in Christ, I have been given through his life, death, and resurrection, grace and mercy. And I can look forward to his return in faith, hope, and love, knowing that through Christ, I am secure in him once and for all. That will change the way we live. So church, those who are in Christ, be ready for the day by living in light of the day through the lens of the gospel that has set you free. And to those who are joining us today, who if you're honest, you know, going into this morning, going into this message, you are not ready for the day you are not prepared to stand before a holy and righteous God. You are not prepared to give an account of your life that would be worthy to be acceptable by God. You know that if that's you today, let today be the day that you step over that line of faith and say, I want to be ready, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what Christ has done for me. That gift of salvation is available to you today. So may we live and respond in light of that gift. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you lay before us hard, challenging, provoking, even difficult truth that we need to hear. And so in all these things, Lord, I pray that we would see your faithfulness, your love, and your grace that loves us so much to lay out a warning. A warning to be ready for the day because the day is coming when Christ will return. Thank you for loving us so much that you invite us to be ready. And so, Lord, I, I pray for the church, for your people, for those who are followers of Christ today. Would you give us a renewed strength, a, a renewed passion, a renewed faith to, to live in light of what we have received through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live in light of what you have done and declared so that we can point others to the good news of faith, hope, and love. It's been made available through Christ. 
It's our heart's desire that many more would be ready for the day. So use us, Lord God, to live in light of that day, pointing others to the good news of the gospel. And Father, as we close this prayer, I do recognize that anytime we gather like this, there, there are people among us who are wrestling with their faith and their belief and wrestling with doubt and fear and worry. There are people today that are joining us that, that realize if they had to stand before God today, they would not know what to do. They, they would not be ready for that day. And Lord, I pray that they would see right now that it is your love and your grace pursuing them that allows them to see that right now they're not ready. But they can be ready if they trust in Jesus. And so I pray that there would be some that would say, I, I, I need, I need to come before the Lord in faith to receive this hope and this love that is the gospel. Jesus, I need you to save me because I, I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you to forgive me because I know I can't clean up all this stuff that I've done and experienced in my life. Lord Jesus, I need you to save me. That may be the prayer of your heart today. And if that is the prayer of your heart, the word of God says to you, you can be ready for the day of the Lord because of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this good news. We pray that we would live in light of what you have laid before us in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.